when you come to a fork in the road, take it. How many of you ever ever heard that quote before? When you come to a fork in the road, take it. That was said, or at least attributed to have been said, uh, by a man named Yogi Berra. I don't mean Yogi Bear, that guy who was smarter than the average bear and a scourge to huckleberry pies everywhere. I said Yogi Berra, one of the great baseball catchers of all time. He played for the New York Yankees. And Yogi Berra had uh, all of these quotes attributed to him that don't make any sense, but do make sense, if, if that makes sense. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. Here was another one that I, I, I loved that he said about a very popular restaurant. He said, no one goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Now, of course, someone was going there or it wouldn't be crowded. But in his circles, no one was going there because it was too crowded. He said, uh, he said I never said uh, half the things that were attributed. That, I think he said, I never said the things that I said, or something along those lines. He was saying, I, all of these sayings that are attributed to me aren't quite true. But I thought of that one, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Of course, that doesn't make any sense, because when you come to a fork in the road, you have to decide where to go. But yet Yogi Berra was saying, when you come to a fork in the road, whatever you do, you just got to take it. And this morning, we're coming to Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 22, to look at the central fork in Abraham's life. If you think of Abraham's life as a journey of faith, he took the first step when he heard God Almighty saying, leave your thriving city, leave your, the land of your ancestors, leave your extended family behind and go to a place where I'm going to tell you, and he went. Another step along that journey was when God told Abraham, you are going to have descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You're not going to be able to count them. And here was a 100-year-old man with a 90-year-old wife, and they had never had a baby before. Abraham believed they did have a child. But now we reach the apex now we reach the tallest mountain, as someone has called it, the Mount Everest of faith in the Bible. When God says to Abraham, your son Isaac, I want you to take him and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. Now, we don't have a sacrificial system. Jesus has wiped away the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But we sometimes, I think, do not really truly understand what God was saying here when he said offer him as a burnt offering. He said, you will kill him and you will burn him, burn his body until it's nothing on an altar. Your son. And in this fork, in this fork in the road that Abraham came to, the decision was immediate. He rose up early in the morning, he took his son and he went. And listen to what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, of Isaac it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Why? 
accounting, considering, reckoning that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure or in a figurative manner of speaking. The title of the message this morning is By Faith, Willing to Offer the Promised Son. By Faith, Willing to Offer the Promised Son. And I want to look at this story from three different perspectives. I want us to first look at the story as a story of God's test. God's test. You see here in Hebrews chapter 11, Scripture says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, or when he was tested. What does this mean? Let's go back to Genesis 22. Keep your finger in the Bible in Hebrews 11, or put a little marker there so you can get back easily. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 22 and try to understand this story from this perspective. Notice with me in verse 1. It came to pass after these things, after Isaac has been born, after Ishmael, the other son of Abraham through Hagar, the, 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 um, the, the servant of Sarah, Abraham's wife, a Ishmael has been sent away. After these things, God did tempt Abraham. Now, this is how it's rendered in our Bibles here. The, the real idea of this is, again, of proving, of testing. God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he, God, said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now there are people, critics of Christianity, who say that this is an appalling story. Some have even said it is the, the seeds of, uh, of child abuse, of religious child abuse. And it's nothing of the kind. Did God ever intend Abraham to kill his son? Ever? No. Did God ever place Isaac's life truly in danger? The answer is no. Go ahead with me to the end of the story. We need to understand this story from knowing how it ends. And here in Genesis chapter 22, if you go ahead to verse number 9, Scripture tells us Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He took the knife in his hand and was going to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. There was a verbal call from God thundering down to him. Abraham. And he says, here am I. And the angel of the Lord said, lay not thine hand upon the land. Don't touch him. Do not strike him, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. There was a ram that was literally stuck in the bushes. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. 
So what happens? God thunders down to Abraham, says, do not harm your son. And Abraham turns and looks, and the sacrifice that God has provided is right there. Isaac comes off the altar. The ram, as a substitute, goes on into his place on the altar. And the ram is sacrificed as a burnt offering to God. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Do you know what that word means, Jehovah-Jireh? It means God will provide. What did God provide instead of Isaac? A ram, a sacrifice. And that ram was substituted for Isaac and offered in his place. In other words, God never once was putting Isaac in harm. God was supervening. He was superintending the entire process. His command to Abraham to sacrifice his son was a test to Abraham, not truly a risk to Isaac. Now, what does this tell us about God's testing, about the way that God tests us sometimes? What is the difference between the devil who tempts us and the God who tests us. Alexander McLaren, the great British preacher, said that the devil appeals to our worst instincts and tries to convince us that we can give in to them. He appeals to our worst instincts and said, enjoy this even though it is wrong. God appeals to our best instincts and says, do this even though it will be hard. It is all the difference in the world. And you know this if you're a parent. I, last evening, was out with Tabitha and our children. We spent a night with James and Brianna Dickey. And uh, James has this tractor with this little cart behind it. And he was driving the children around in it. They were having all the fun in the world. And Xander was there, one-year-old Xander. And he got on that cart. And his brothers and sisters were with him. But he was just scared. I mean, you could just see it. Takes off. He's crying. He doesn't like it. And what did Tabitha and I say? He'll be okay. And sure enough, it went around for a few more times and he came back and he was laughing and enjoying it. Were we really tempting Xander? No. We were saying, do this and you'll enjoy it. Do this and you'll be strengthened and encouraged by it. Those of you, if any of you have have, have understood the science of weightlifting, you know the same idea. People lift weights because they want to get stronger and they lift weights until their muscles fail. They can't lift one more. But what happens to their muscles in the process? That testing process of weight is strengthening and building the muscle. And if you were to take it in that same kind of analogy, God is testing the muscle of your faith. And he will not bring you to the point of failure. He will bring you to the point where you can accomplish the test. He never brings you beyond your strength into a test. He brought this test to Abraham, knowing that Abraham would pass the test. And in the process, we are strengthened in our faith, not weakened. And in it, we get to know God better. Abraham, because of this test, began, knew a new name for God. God who provides, Jehovah Jireh. And when you come through a test of your faith, You will learn a new side of God, a new aspect of God, a new testimony from God that will strengthen you in your life going forward. So we see this test from God for Abraham, a bitter test, a hard test, 
a test that required, that tested Abraham's loyalty to God and love for his only son. And yet it was a test that God had good intentions for. So first we see God's test, but I want us to see secondly here Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. And I say Abraham's faith because when I think of the story of Abraham, perhaps faith is not the first thing I think of. I think of obedience, right? Obedience. God says, go and sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. And now let's walk through this story and see Abraham's obedience, will we? Look at verse 3. And Abraham, after he had received this message, rose up early in the morning. Is that what you would have done? I think I would have slept in. And then I think I would have said, God, I needed to pray about this for about two weeks. Maybe two months, maybe two years. And God, I'm going to need a whole lot of other things before I obey this command. Abraham rose up early in the morning, and not only that, he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering. He went outside and started cutting up the wood himself. That's obedience. And he rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, where is Abraham right now in this story? He's in where? Beersheba. He needed to go to Mount Moriah. Do you know where Mount Moriah is? It's right around Jerusalem. It's a mountain of about 2,500 feet or so, and of course, the hills surrounding it. Beersheba is about, if you just estimate, about 45 or 50 miles from Mount Moriah. 50 miles south of here is about Northfield, Minnesota. How much time did Abraham have to think as he was going day after day walking with a donkey to Mount Moriah? That's obedience. 20 miles a day, on the third day he finally got there. And what happens on that third day? Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, unto these servants, Abide ye here, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. Isaac the sacrifice himself is carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed over. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Can you imagine the knife that would have gone into Abraham's heart? Here's this innocent boy saying, Dad, where's, where's the lamb? Abraham knows the, promise, the, the command he's been, he's been given. Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And we see him there, the altar, the wood on top of it, Isaac bound, tied up on the altar, the knife in midair. That's obedience. When God says, do it, 
So I don't think we have any question about, what, about Abraham's obedience here. But that's not what the author of Hebrews 11 wants to bring out. He, didn't, he isn't talking first and foremost about Abraham's obedience. He said, by faith. By faith, Abraham offered up his only son. So we need to figure out what about Isaac's, about Abraham's, excuse me, about Abraham's faith we can learn from today. And now I want you to turn back to Hebrews 11. Keep your finger in Genesis 22. We'll, we'll pause back there momentarily. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the what? The promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And that is a quote. God said to Abraham, you're going to have a son with your wife Sarah and his name is going to be Isaac and from him will come your descendants, your line. There will come countless millions through Isaac. Friends, at this age, Isaac wasn't married. He had no children. What did that mean? It meant that the command of God, kill your son, offer him up as a burnt offering, was in irreconcilable conflict with the promise of God. Isaac will be your descendants. Do you see that? You cannot have logically them both together. You cannot say Isaac or Abraham offer up your son before he's had any children and say from Isaac will millions of people come from you. They are irreconcilable. They're impossible to understand. And yet God said, do it. That's the problem. In a reconcilable conflict between God's command and between God's promise. Now what did Abraham do? In Isaac shall thy seed be called. And why did Abraham act by faith? Notice with me verse 19. Accounting. This is literally an accounting word. The idea is reckoning like you would with a balance sheet. With a profit and loss statement. With a budget. Figuring out what's in the, in the, in, in the, in the expenses. What's in the revenue. He accounted. He reckoned. He considered. He believed that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. What was Abraham believing when he went up that hill with Isaac next to him? He said, God, you promised that in Isaac would be my descendants. You have told me to sacrifice this son on the altar. And that can mean only one thing. If you have me kill him, you will raise him from the dead because you promised. By faith, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. You see, you say, where is the author of Hebrews 11 getting this? I didn't see that anywhere in Genesis 22 that Abraham believed God would be able to raise Isaac from the dead, it's there. Maybe you missed it. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 22, shall we? Genesis chapter 22. Notice with me in verse number five. 
after they've gotten to this place, Abraham sees where they're going. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. And I and the lad, we will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham didn't have one doubt in his mind that when he went up that mountain, he and Isaac would be coming down that mountain. And whether that was because God would provide a different lamb for the burnt offering like he did, or whether that would be because Isaac would be raised from the dead, Abraham said, me and my son are coming down from that mountain. Friends, that is unbelievable faith. God, your command seems irreconcilable with your promise. I will obey your command and trust you to fulfill your promise. Now, friends, none of you will ever be called to sacrifice your son or your daughter in a literal, physical sense. God has made clear to us in his word that child sacrifice is an appalling, abominable thing. And we ourselves in our day and age today should reckon with that horror in a nation that indeed has its own form of child sacrifice. But nonetheless, friends, we should reckon, we should grapple with this truth because it's true for every single one of us. And the truth is this, there will be times in your life when the command of God for you to obey will seem irreconcilable with the promise of God that you've claimed for your life. It may be in the loss of a loved one. A loved one that you did not think or do not think you can live without. No, I cannot live without that person. And God says, put them on the altar. Put them on the altar. I'll figure out the promise. It may be the death of some vision or some dream or some calling that you really believe God has given you. You believe that God has given you this to do and now a command of God seems to conflict. Maybe it's of a, a vision or a dream you have for a relationship of a romantic kind and the command of God says, do not be unequally yoked. Do not marry someone who does not share your fundamental faith. And you say, God, if I obey your command, my dream is going to die. And God says, obey me and I'll take care of it. I'll take care of the promise. It may be some job opportunity that you know that if you took, it was your dream. It is your vision. It may feel like you're calling, but you know if you go there, you will be called to compromise your Christian convictions and your principles. And you say, God, I can't let this opportunity go. And God says, why don't you obey me? And I'll take care of the consequences, I will be the one to fulfill my promise. Day after day, year after year, you will be called in practical ways to obey God even when you don't understand how it will marry up to the promises of God. You say, God, you've promised that I will have joy. You've promised that I will have peace. And if this happens, if I obey you here, I can't see any joy in my life. I can't see peace. I can't see security. And yet you have promised and that's where Yogi Berra comes in. Because when you come to a fork in the road, take it. When you come to a fork in the road where God's promise seems to conflict with God's command, obey God's command. And by faith say, God, you have the power to take care of your promise. And then watch him do it. 
and you'll say, I know God is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Because friends, I don't care how much it seems irreconcilable, God's command and God's promise. God's command will never in the end overcome God's promise because God is faithful. Friends, what command is in front of you this morning? What aspect of God's will, his desire for your life, are you wrestling with this morning and saying, God, I cannot see how this is consistent with your promise. Walk with Abraham up that hill. Walk with Abraham up that hill with what he loved most and maybe with what you love most this morning and with him lay it down on that altar and say, God, I may not see how this fits with your promise, but all I know is that this is your will, this is your command, and so I'm going to obey by faith. That's the lesson of Abraham for us today. But really, we can't end the story here. Because it does not end with just this picture, this glorious picture of Abraham's faith and his obedience that came from it. There's something else, even from Hebrews chapter 11. Will you look back with me again at Hebrews chapter 11? Verse 19 says that Abraham was accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Now look at this last phrase. From whence, from the dead also, he received him, Isaac, in a figure. Here's what he's saying. Figuratively speaking, Isaac did die. Literally speaking, no. Figuratively speaking, yes. Why? Because Isaac died to Abraham. Abraham put him on the altar. Abraham lifted up the knife. Isaac, from that point, was as good as dead. And he received him back as if it were from the dead. Can you imagine how much tighter Abraham hugged Isaac on the way down that mountain? Can you imagine how much closer that bond of love was, not only now with the son who had been given him when he was 100 years old, but the son now who had been taken back from the dead? Can you imagine the joy in Abraham's heart at receiving back his son in a figure, in a manner of speaking from the dead? See, what we need to see here in this passage is not just God's test, is not just Abraham's faith, but is Isaac's substitute. Isaac's substitute. What is this picture? What is this figure of speech? What is this manner of speaking that seems to be in the mind of the author of Hebrews 11 here? I want you to fast forward 2,000 years from when Abraham was walking up the mountain Moriah with his son Isaac his only begotten son, the son of the promise, and realized that 2,000 years later, on a hill not far from Mount Moriah, a hill called Mount Calvary, an only begotten son went up a hill in the presence of his father. That son was to be an offering, a sacrifice, And as that son went up that hill, he knew there was to be no ram, a substitute offering caught in the bushes. He knew, that son knew and that father knew that that only begotten son was to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
You see, friends, where Isaac was taken off the altar and a substitute ram was put in his place, Jesus laid down on the altar of sacrifice and said, Not my will, but thine be done, Father. Jesus was the ram caught in the bushes. Jesus was the substitute coming in, stepping in for you and for me. Jesus was the one who took on the offering of God as a substitute for you, as a sacrifice for your sin and for your failure and mine. Jesus was the one who took on the atonement so that you, like Isaac, could be liberated to a life with your Father God for eternity. Jesus is the one who is the true picture, the true story of Genesis chapter 22. And what that means for all of us, friends, is that each of us are confronted with our own fork in the road. Jesus has been offered as a sacrifice for sins, for the things that you and I do or don't do every day that violate God's moral law and cut off our relationship with him. Jesus has been that sacrifice and the fork in the road for every human being is whether you will accept Jesus' sacrifice for sins as yours or whether you will say, no, I will do it my way. Thank you very much. What saving faith looks like is walking with Jesus up that hill, the hill of Calvary, and saying, Jesus, I accept your offering as mine. I accept your death as mine. I accept your new resurrected life as my resurrected life. I accept your resurrected life as Lord, as my Lord. Have you ever, as best you know, humbly accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as yours? Have you repented of your sins? Have you bowed before a risen Jesus and said, be my Lord, be my Savior. See, Abraham's life, his example of faith and obedience was a testimony to his faith and trust and love for, for God. And now God, in offering his own sacrifice to us, the sacrifice of his son, says to everyone else, see how much I love you. If I did not withhold my son, my only son, how will I not with him also freely give you all things? Friends, I pray that if this day today is a fork in the road for whether you will accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as yours, may you take it. And if today there is a particular fork in the road of, of your life that you need to operate by faith and obey the command or the will that God has placed in front of you, may you do that too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful picture of faith that even though the command of God and the promise of God seemed irreconcilable, Abraham knew that he simply needed to trust and obey. Oh, I pray here, Father, today for any person who is at this crossroads, who is at this fork in the road, and they need to trust. 
Maybe it's in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Maybe it's in the goodness and the promise of God. May you be at work in our midst today, Father, we pray. Let's pause with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. However God is speaking to you today, would you accept it by faith? Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for that perfect sacrifice for sin of the Lamb of God. I pray, Father, that we would walk in the fresh reality that you have forgiven us all by the blood of your Son. May we live in that reality even this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.